I will read 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 through 20a. Hear now God's word. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of the world is folly with God. For it is written, He catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men. I remind you that this is God's holy and inspired word. It contains all that we need for faith and for life. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord abides forever. Let's once again pray. Lord, we thank you for your holy scriptures. And we ask that you teach us from it. And we ask that as Jesus prayed, sanctify them by the truth. Thy word is truth. Bless the words which come out of my mouth. And may we be pliable and malleable to receive this word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let me introduce this sermon by saying that we have much to be concerned about. Critical race theory, the overturning of Roe versus Wade, homosexual marriage and transgenderism, and particularly the unbiblical positions that people often make uh, in, in their reactions. We should be shocked by these issues and the unbiblical persuasion of them, but we should not be surprised. The unspiritual person cannot and does not receive the things of the Spirit, as 1 Corinthians says in chapter 2. The unregenerate person will not agree with you in your biblical persuasion on these issues except by the illumination of the Spirit. Suffice it to say, the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God stands at odds with one another. The wisdom of the world conflicts with the wisdom of God. They are completely antithetical to one another. And thus, the Christian must find his wisdom only in God's holy and inspired word. The doctrine of this text comes from a couple of questions. What is the wisdom that we must pursue? Or where is the wisdom of God to be found? And the obvious answer is God's wisdom can only be found in God's Word. God's wisdom can only be found in God's Word. In other words, God reveals His wisdom only in the Bible. You cannot get God's wisdom any other way. Only when you submit yourself to the authority of God's Word can you be truly wise. 
But it is not a wisdom of this age, nor of the world, nor of mankind. The Word of God alone contains God's wisdom. In the exposition, I would like to speak of three headings. First, worldly wisdom. Second, God's evaluation. And third, God's, uh, and third, God's wisdom. Um, you can take the outline in the back of the bulletin to guide you, uh, if, if you w- would like. So, the first heading is worldly wisdom. <clears throat> in this passage, Paul uses a few parallels of worldly wisdom. Verse 18 uses the wisdom of this age. Verse 19 uses the wisdom of this world. And verse 21, Paul says, Let no one boast in men. Age, world, men all parallel each other and indicate worldly wisdom. First, the wisdom of this age is taken from verse 18. Let no one deceive himself. If any... If anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. The first point that we need to address is under this heading is what it means when Paul says among you. Paul says among you. Verse 18 again, if anyone among you thinks that he is wise. Among you indicates that this one is a member of the church. This is the supposed Christian. Again, this is a plural you. And if any of you all believe he is wise in this age, he is deceived. We love each other in this particular church, don't we? We love each other. We really do love members at Pine Haven Presbyterian Church. Would you want anyone among you to be deceived? To be blinded of the truth as it is found in God as it is found in God's word. May it never be that we would want anyone that is brought into the arms of this, this church to believe that they are wise according to this age. It is a small but vivid point. Among you, we would not want anyone in this church or in fact any other church to be deceived if we truly love them. The second point that I would make under this heading is self-deception. If anyone thinks he is wise according to to this age, he is fooling himself. The text says that he is deceived. This harkens back to chapter 1. If this man is a Christian, verse 18 says, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. Do not these Christians believe in the power of the cross to save sinners? Verse 21 says, It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Is the apostolic message not folly to the fallen world, but but salvation to those who believe? Did not God 
choose the weak things in the world to shame the strong. That in Christ we have become the wisdom of God. If these things are so, then to believe that we are wise in this age or in this world is akin to self-deception. Or as chapter 1 verse 26 says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. To believe that you were is to deceive yourself. This leads me to ask, what is the source of this deception? The first source of deception is the world. It's the world. The obvious deception is from the world. The world deceives this one by making him believe that he is wise according to worldly standards. Yet the fallen world is a deceiver. And it deceives because it doesn't have the truth. This one believes that you can have your cake and eat it too. That he can be wise in the world and can have the Father's wisdom as well. And this is just not so. As 1 John 2, 15-17 say, Do not love the world or the things of this world or anyone, excuse me, if anyone loves the world, The love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but but it is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. You must not love the world or worldly standards. It will deceive you. And you will be tempted to reject God's wisdom as it is found in Scripture. The second deceiver that I will call your attention to is the flesh. In the context of chapter 3, verse 1, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh. One of their deceptions is the flesh, the carnal flesh they will have been deceived by the fallen flesh. Paul says in chapter 3, verse 3, For you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? To act only in a human way is to be fleshly or carnal. And this one embodies the works of the flesh and not the fruits of the Spirit. A third deceiver is the devil. The devil deceives. Jesus speaks to the scribes and Pharisees and says in John 8.44 and following, You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do the father's will. Is to do your father's will. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. Because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. He is a liar and the father of lies. The truth is not to be attributed to the devil. The devil is the father of lies. So when anyone thinks that he is wise according to this world or this age, the devil deceives him 
and the truth is not in him. See the Lord's temptation by Satan. The devil actually quotes Scripture. But then Jesus exposes him that he is taking the word out of context. This reveals the truth of the aphorism. A half-truth is a whole lie. Or rather, in this context, a half-truth leads to a full deception. These are the great deceivers, the world, the flesh, and the devil. The Christian is tempted by these deceivers if we don't watch out for them. And we must take the pains to realize that we are not wise according to this age. For if we believe this, we have been deceived and the truth is not in us. The second heading is God's evaluation. God's evaluation. Paul judges the folks who say that they are wise in this age by saying that they are deceived. This is a judgment of the Corinthians. However, he goes further. Verse 18b says, Let him become a fool that he may become wise. This is God's viewpoint. God says through Paul, May he become a fool in the eyes of the world that he may become wise in my vantage point. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. God evaluates the the wisdom of this world as folly. What would you want to be? Wise according to the world or wise according to God? There's no way around it. You are either wise according to the world or you are wise according to God. Wise according to the world's fleeting wisdom or wise according to God, whose truth never changes, whose truth is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. I would rather be a fool in the eyes of the world than a fool in God's eyes. Whenever I think about the world's wisdom, It reminds me of worldly wise man in Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. When Christian came, when Christian came to him, worldly wise man encouraged him to climb the hill of morality, to climb the hill of Mount Sinai. That was the evaluation of man. That man could somehow climb to the heavens by doing good works. But this was not good advice. Evangelist comes and says, what are you doing? Go to the cross for relief of your burden. And Christian runs to the cross and finds that you can only be saved by embracing the cross of Christ. And and, uh, you can be saved from your burdens if you go to the cross and find your burden is cast away thrown in a sepulcher and buried never to be seen again. Only then will you truly be free. This is the wisdom of God. That you can never be free by doing the works of the law, but only by faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Truly the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power and the wisdom of God. The third and final heading that I would like to discuss with you is God's wisdom. 
God's wisdom. In the last verse of this section, Paul quotes two Old Testament passages which confirms that God's wisdom is only to be found in God's Word. Paul writes, for it is written. Paul continues to base his ultimate authority in the Scriptures, in the written Word of God. This leads to our first point under this heading. God's wisdom written in God's Word. Will Helmus Abrakel said in his work, A Christian's Reasonable Service, and I quote, It pleased God to give to His church an immovable and everlasting rule of life and doctrine by submitting to His will in written form that the truth would be preserved so much better against the wickedness of man whose heart is inclined towards superstition and carnal religion, carrying within it the seed of numerous heresies. That was also, this was also necessary to protect the church against the wiles of the devil because his objective is always to use the smoke of heresy to tarnish the truth knowing that without knowledge of the truth, there can be no true godliness. Therefore, Paul quotes two passages. The first first passage is from Job 5.13. This, according to Simon Kistemacher, is the only quotation from Job in the entire New Testament. Paul uses this scripture to say, He, the Lord, catches the the wise in their craftiness. He catches the wise in their own craftiness. Like Satan in the Garden of Eden, who was the most crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. But the Lord caught him in his craftiness. And so the worldly wise man will be caught in their craftiness. The argument is from the greater to the lesser. Just as Satan was caught in his craftiness, so will every person who considers himself wise according to the world. The other text that Paul cites is from Psalm 94.11. The Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are but, but futile. In the context of Psalm 94, Paul authoritatively interprets the passage to further the point that he is making. The wisdom of the world is folly with God. Psalm 94.8 says, Understand, O dullest of the people, fools, when will you be wise? He who planted the ear, does he not hear? He who formed the eye, does he not see? He who disciplines the nations, does he not rebuke? He who teaches man knowledge. In essence, the foolish will become wise when he turns to God and when he turns to the Word of God. The author of Psalm 94 ends this passage, the Lord knows the thoughts of man that they are but a breath. That man that that considers himself to be wise, the Lord knows the wisdom of this world that is that it is but vanity, a breath, or futile. 
in contrast to God's wisdom that is revealed in the pages of Scripture. As John Calvin says, but since human wisdom is always like that when it is divorced from God, Paul rightly adapts it to mean that however much wisdom people acquire by themselves, it counts for nothing in God's sight. Therefore, no matter how highly they are valued by us, they are futile in God's judgment. End quote. Thus, the written word is absolutely necessary to know the truth and the wisdom of God. Without God's word, we don't have any authority to reveal God's wisdom. We would have to rely on natural reason to decide what is the wisdom of God. And that is a perilous situation. And it is only futile. The last point that I would like to make under this heading is therefore, since God, God's wisdom is only found in God's Word, let no one boast in men. Let no one boast in men. The summary of this, uh, of this passage is let no one boast in men. The positive statement is found in uh, chapter 1, verse 31. So that as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. In this passage, it records a negative statement. And when it is all taken together, this, this, this passage reveals a complete thought. Let, no one who, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. Let no one boast in men. This leads to our, to our applications. The first application that I would like to make this morning is read God's Word to know God's wisdom. Read God's Word to know God's wisdom. And this has a starting point and an ending point. The starting point is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. The beginning of God's wisdom is chiefly expressed in the entire book of Proverbs. Thus, Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Know that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. The fear or reverence of the Lord or faith in the Lord is the starting point to the wisdom in God's Word so that you never boast in men to gain wisdom. The end point is Jesus Christ. The end point of God's wisdom is Jesus Christ. Know that the chief object which you need to know to be wise is Jesus Christ. The unbeliever can never be wise in God's economy. This is said in chapter in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 30, and because of him you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God. Run and fly to Jesus Christ. And in union with Him, He becomes to us the wisdom of God. Remember that worldly wise men sent Christian to the hill of morality, but evangelist sends him directly to the cross of Christ. Folly to those 
who are not being saved, but to us who are the wisdom of God. And the second application that I would like to make is pity the nations for not submitting or not having God's Word. People in this country are largely familiar with the things of, of God's wisdom. Things of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. But they just don't submit to it. They don't heed the things presented in God's world. In God's wisdom. They don't acknowledge it as the authority of God and thus make poor decisions. But for many people in the world, they don't even have God's Word and cannot know the wisdom that is revealed in those pages. They don't have any clue about Jesus Christ. And they cannot without the special revelation of God. Like the story I, I, that I told you many months ago, Polian, the, the Cambodian who worked at the donut shop in Waynesboro, he had no access to the Scriptures in his own language. But when, but when we purchased him a Bible in his own language, he rejoiced. I have some 20-odd Bibles, English Bibles in my house, and many more in the church. We take for granted that we, that we have an English Bible. That we have the Word of God written in our own tongue. Don't we? We take for granted all the things that are revealed to us in our English Bibles. How many of us, probably the majority of us, could not read the Word if it weren't in our own language. We would be left without the wisdom of God found in Jesus Christ. And therefore, we could not be saved without the written Word. We take our Bibles, our English Bibles, for granted, don't we? It was not until the pre-Reformation period that we even had English Bibles. John Wycliffe, in the 14th century, translated a portion of the Scriptures in English. And, and he rejected anything that didn't come from Scripture, such as transubstantiation or indulgences. And he, in essence, was excommunicated from the church and burned in efficacy for these things. His work was carried on by the Lollards, who printed the Wycliffe Bible in English. But most of the Lollard translations were confiscated and burned. Then the New Testament was translated in English in 1537 by Matthew Tyndale. And he was poisoned for doing such. But God's providence prevailed when Miles Coverdale, in continuity with Tyndale's New Testament, translated the Old. And for the first time, all of the Scriptures were presented in English. This work was carried on in the production of the Great Bible by King Henry VIII in 1539. But it was not for individual use. The cost of printing an entire Bible was so expensive that the officials had to chain them to individual 
uh, pulpits for corporate use. This English translation was furthered by the printing of the Geneva Bible in 1560 and revised into several uh, different editions made for individual use. Finally, the authorized version, the King James Version of the Bible, made the Bible much more accessible to enter uh, to individual use, but only those who could afford it. But now English translations are everywhere available. How much we take the Word of God for granted, and subsequently, we take the wisdom of God for granted as well. We are most to be pitied for not submitting our minds to the wisdom of God found in the Holy Scripture. And more to be pitied are those who don't have access to the written Word of God at all. The lastly, the last application, we must evangelize the nations. If we, if we understand these things, we don't have the wisdom of God. If we don't have the written Word of God, we will be promoted. We will uh, uh, promote the Gospel to be preached to all nations. Whether we support the Gospel going forth to all the nations in, in supporting our overseas missionaries or actually going, we should understand that Matthew 24.14 says that the Gospel of the Kingdom will be proclaimed throughout all the world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. Not before. The Great Awakening rendered this motto to the missionary movements which proceeded out of these revivals. In the meantime, we need to support the work of translation, of the translation of the Bible into a nation's own language, for it reveals the wisdom of God in a, in a way that all nations can understand when they have the written Word and the Spirit. Lastly, we need to evangelize this country. The last thing about the necessity of the written word recorded in uh, Wilhelmus Abrakel discusses the necessity of evangelism. He says, Finally, this was necessary so that the gospel might reach every individual, every individual member of the church more efficiently be translated from father to children and to be distributed among all the nations much more rapidly. Thus, the existence of the written word is a necessity. In conclusion, I would like to exhort you to go, to study the Scriptures, for in it one finds the wisdom of God and chiefly in Jesus Christ. Pity the people in our own country for not submitting to the authority of God's Word and chiefly pity the nations that don't have the Bible in their own language. But don't just pity them. Actually go to the nations. In providence, in God's providence, the nations have been brought to us. I had a doctor who was a Muslim I had a speech pathologist who was Hindu. And I have many neighbors who are Asian, 
Korean or Chinese. And I also have neighbors who are Arabs and Hindus. In short, the nations have come to us. And therefore, we can fulfill the Great Commission in a way that other people have not. Whether here or afar, thus reveal to them the wisdom of God in Jesus Christ. In the written pages of Holy Scripture, it is folly to the eyes of the world, but to us that are being saved, it is true wisdom. Let us pray. Oh, Father, we have failed to take the wisdom of the written Word to all the nations. By failing to by failing even to evangelize our neighbors. You have brought the nations to us. And we should evangelize, proclaim the Gospel of Jesus Christ in our lives and in our words. Forgive us, O Lord, for we have been faithless, but You are faithful still. Forgive us this sin and make us more pliable to receive this Word and go to the nations. We ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.